If you please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel. Uh, this month we'll be dealing with some themes that I've been encouraged by our session of elders to uh, consider in the month of January, and we'll get back to our series on Romans uh, beginning in February. Um, this is a rather long uh, passage, and so I'll uh, ask you to, to remain seated uh, this morning as I read from Daniel 6, uh, the entirety of the chapter. Daniel chapter 6. Please hear the word of the living God. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find any ground for complaint for, or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked." Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction and anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you? Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. 
And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Our fathers, we come to this familiar text. We pray, O God, that the truth found in this text would have deep meaning and application to our hearts this morning, that we would see Christ lifted up, that we would see Daniel's example of a man who is countercultural and lived with a resolute heart. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The turn of the calendar year leads many of us, of course, to make New Year's resolutions. We seek a fresh start and a new beginning in many areas of our lives, such as diet and and exercise and spiritual disciplines. I heard recently that January 17th, January 17th is Ditch New Year's Resolutions Day, uh, officially. Uh, And so if you make it after that, maybe you're doing sort of good, but most Most people ditch their New Year's resolutions. In fact, only about 12% carry on after about four months, so the polls say. This is all fine and good. It's good to evaluate our lives and to consider what changes to our lifestyle and schedules ought to be made. Uh, But for most, for most, resolutions are abandoned within just a couple of months. Goals go unmet. Old patterns of thinking and behavior resume. There are many reasons for this, but perhaps the biggest one is that our annual making of resolutions is overly focused on personal goals and self-improvement, rather than on living according to our Christian identity. Dear ones, please hear this. What we do and how we live in every area of our lives should ultimately flow from a biblical understanding of who we are in Christ. What we do and how we live 
should ultimately flow from a biblical understanding of who we are in Christ. The Apostle Paul spends 11 chapters in Romans carefully explaining who we are in Christ before explaining how we ought to live. Why does he do this? To underscore over and over and over again that we are not saved by our works. To underscore that we do not live in our own strength or by the fallen wisdom and values of this world. No, we are first taught who we are so that the manner in which we live would flow from our identity in Christ, so that the patterns and rhythms of our lives would be grounded in something deeper than goal-setting and self-improvement, that our lives would be grounded in spirit-wrought biblical conviction. Amen? That's what we need more than anything else if we are going to survive the cultural onslaught of the West today. Why are churches crumbling? Why are church leaders crumbling under the pressures of the cultural moral revolution? Why has the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church himself begun to buckle under the sexual revolution? It's because there is not ultimately spirit-wrought biblical conviction. Christians should say, I live this way, I seek to live in this way, because I am a Christian. My chief identity is in him. This is why Paul writes at the beginning of Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That phrase, by the mercies of God, is really a summary of Romans 1 through 11. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, by, by God's mercy and who you are in Christ. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Of course, in our age of moral chaos, living with true Christian conviction means living counter-culturally. True followers of Christ cannot go with the flow in a degenerate culture, a culture that is increasingly hostile to, to basic Christian teaching. And so perhaps our focus in 2024 should be less on the goals of New Year's resolutions and more on living resolutely for Christ as individuals and as a church family. That's my prayer for Christ Church in 2024, that we would live resolutely for Christ. The dictionary describes living resolutely as living in, quote, an ad admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering manner. An admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering manner. Notice perfection is not listed in this. To live resolutely doesn't mean to live perfectly. We still have remaining indwelling sin. We need God's grace and forgiveness. Always. We live in His grace. We live under His grace. 
We are reminded every Lord's Day we need to confess our sins and turn from them and abide in Christ who is our Lord and Savior. But in Christ, we are called to live resolutely. That is, with a purposeful and determined and unwavering commitment to him. The posture of our lives is lived in this way. In Scripture, we have many models of such resolute living rooted in Christian identity. And there is no better model of resolute living than in the life of Daniel, a man of resolute conviction, a man who lived counterculturally for the glory of God, a man who knew who he was and whose life patterns, as we just read, flowed from his identity as a believer. Daniel didn't continue his prayer life because he had made New Year's resolutions. If it was all about those, he could have easily broken those for all kinds of reasons, not least personal safety. He did what he did because of his conviction, because he knew who he was as a child of God. So the main point of this sermon this morning, I want to be very clear, is not be like Daniel. That is not the main message of this sermon. The main message, the main point is this. God is faithful to his promises. His son is a mighty savior. And in Christ, we are called to live resolutely in 2024. That is the message that I hope we all hear this morning. So let's turn once again to our passage in Daniel. A little context, a little context. By this time, Daniel is in his 70s. He has served the kingdom of Babylon with distinction for almost half a century. But in a strange turn of events, he finds himself in a den of ferocious lions. It's not like when we go to the zoo, right? We feel very safe because there's a, a glass partition. And we can, you know, you see these things on, you know, uh, YouTube where there's a small child and then there's a ferocious lion like right there and his paws are up. And, you know, you feel safe because... Because the glass partition, no partitions, no guardrails. There's Daniel, the man of God with a group of very hungry lions. But we have to ask, how did Daniel get there? What would happen to him? What do we learn about living resolutely from this familiar story? Well, the story begins in verse 1 with a king named Darius and a wicked plan hatched by some of his Wicked high officials. We are introduced to King Darius the Mede at the end of chapter 5. He is the third king we learn about in this book. First, there was Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar, and now Darius. He is, there is a fourth mentioned in chapter 6, Cyrus the Persian. Daniel outlasts them all. He outlasts all these kings. He is, as one writer mentions, a symbol of the kingdom of God outlasting the kings and kingdoms of this passing world. It's a primary theme of the book of Daniel. Kings and kingdoms rise and fall, but the kingdom of our God outlasts them all. Amen? Think about that in terms of America for a moment. Kings and kingdoms. Presidents and prime ministers rise and fall. But the kingdom of our God outlasts them all. 
Where are our priorities? Where are our ultimate allegiances? We need to be good citizens of our country. We need to vote. We need to fight for what's right. We want to get good people in office and all of these things. And during this election year where things are going to be so incredibly emotional and polarized and everybody's mad all the time, we need to be Christians. We need to abide in Christ, bear the fruit of the Spirit, and stand for what is right and do so with a heart of love and faith and not be caught up in the world and its ways. Our kingdom will last forever, the kingdom of God, though the kingdoms of this world will rise and they will fall. That's where our ultimate hope lies, is in the Lord and in the kingdom of heaven. This should foster confidence in our hearts, especially when we see all of the unrest in the world today. Whatever is going on in the world, we, we need to remember this. Our sovereign God is on his throne. He rules over all. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will, including the building of his unshakable kingdom amidst the shakable kingdoms of this world. And so the introduction, introduction of yet another king in Daniel reminds us of this important and encouraging theme in Daniel. In verse 1, we are told that King Darius established a new administration to govern the land. He set over the kingdom 120 satraps or governors to be throughout the kingdom and three high officials to oversee all of the satraps. This was so that the king would suffer no loss. He wanted to collect taxes in the different provinces and, and uh, this order was being established and it's important that the king, of course, have proper, proper governing authorities and accountability in place. And so in verses 2 and 3, we learn that Daniel was one of those three high-ranking officials who oversaw the satraps and he was distinguished above all of the other high-ranking officials. Why? Look at verse 3. Because an excellent spirit was within him. It's the same thing the queen mother said about him in chapter 5. Daniel, a man of uncommon zeal for the God of Israel, a man who would not compromise his faith to accommodate Babylonian or Mede culture, was esteemed by the royal court and was well-respected by all. Because of Daniel's wisdom, his work ethic, his integrity, his reliability, he was promoted to the highest offices under three different kings. It doesn't always work this way when people live in this way, but often we see it does. Daniel didn't get caught up in all the trappings of Babylonian or Mede culture, however. No, he served and glorified God in the midst of it. He lived Counterculturally, he lived resolutely in the midst of this pagan culture. Daniel didn't live in a culture where there was a, a church on every other corner. He lived in a place where there were very few followers of the true and the living God, and yet he stood fast. He knew he was a member of two kingdoms the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, but it was to the kingdom of God that he gave his primary allegiance. It's the way we as Christian believers are called to live today. Like Daniel, our identity is not to be primarily in the kingdoms or occupations or, or possessions or stations of this world. Our identity is in Christ and our citizenship is in heaven. 
We have two passports, as it were, but one is more important than the other because Jesus died to purchase it. Jesus died to purchase it. We are exiles, pilgrims, strangers, aliens, foreigners who have a place in this temporal world, but ultimately live for a better country, a better city whose maker and builder is God. In 1 Peter 2.11, the apostle calls believers sojourners and exiles. Why? Because they were in the world, but not what? Of the world. In the world, but not what? Of the world. Daniel knew who he was, a servant of the true king, the king of kings, the king of heaven, and this helped him to stand firm in a decadent and idolatrous culture and amidst the fiercest trials and temptations, as we will soon see. So Darius, this 62-year-old king, admires the more aged Daniel. He trusts him so much that he's planning on setting him over the entire kingdom to make him his right-hand man, as it were. But Daniel's colleagues, we see, were displeased. They were jealous. They, they didn't like this old Hebrew exile from Judah holding such a high position in their land. And so it says in verse 4 that they tried to find a complaint about him with regard to the kingdom, but they couldn't find one. They couldn't find any fault because he was faithful. Then it occurred to them, ah, one place that we can get him is through his devotion to his God. They said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. It was a clever move, even though it was a wicked one, because they knew that the one thing Daniel would never compromise was his devotion to God. That was his reputation. That was his reputation. From the lowest to the highest ranks in the kingdom, they knew this about Daniel. His unyielding commitment to God was no secret, and they would use it against him. They would use it against him. It's not unlike what some do to Christians in our own day. It really shouldn't be a surprise to us when it happens. For as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. When you go against the grain of the culture, when you swim against the tide, when you don't go with the secular flow, there will at times be mistreatment and persecution, but it's not all such a terrible thing. Because persecution, we've learned from Romans 8 and other places, persecution in whatever form serves to remove the impurities of our faith and provides a clear witness to the world that we are Christ's no matter what the personal cost. Daniel and his three friends experienced persecution in big ways, and their faith at time had times of crisis, but all of this served as a testimony to the church and to the world ever since. So these satraps, these governors, collaborated, and they came up with a plan. And they went to the king. They entered Darius's courtroom with flattery and praise, encouraging the king, it says in verse 7, to establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever prays to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So they wanted a law that was official, that couldn't be changed, that couldn't be revoked, knowing that Darius would not have been pleased about how this would affect Daniel. 
Now look with me at verse 10 and feel the weight of this verse. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You know, if we had read this morning that Daniel, not according to his previous actions, but in faithfulness to God, got down and prayed one time a day, maybe really early in the morning while it was still dark, we would say, well, that was still pretty brave and courageous of him, and we thank God for him and his faithfulness. But this takes it to a whole new level. He did what he had done previously. He was not going to be shaken out of his commitment to God and his resolve to serve God by this new law. Daniel is an undaunted and unintimidated man. He is resolute. He's resolute because of who he is as a child of God. And there are four things we shouldn't miss here. Notice, first of all, that Daniel knew about the legislation. Look at the beginning of verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. <laughs> he, 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 this point is being made here by the writer to make clear to us that Daniel, it wasn't like he didn't know about it. He knew. But it didn't sway him. And there may be laws made in our own land. Some that are already being made. But laws in our own land which seek to prohibit us from expressing our Christian faith. For Daniel, this didn't sway him from serving God. He would not accommodate his idolatrous culture, even for 30 days, even for a day, even for a minute, even though it might cost him his life. He knew who he was, and he would not compromise. By the way, is this different or unrelated to the call of discipleship by Jesus Christ himself? If you want to follow me, he said, you must what? Deny yourself. What's next? Take up your cross and follow me. The cross is an instrument of torture and death. The point is being made there is if you want to be my disciple, you must follow me at all costs. What kind of of a king or a savior would have less of an expectation than that. Christ calls us to live with this kind of conviction by grace, empowered by his spirit and grace, often failing, often needing to come to him to confess our sin and, and to uh, receive his forgiveness again and again. And he is patient with us and he loves us, but we are called to this life of resolute conviction. Daniel, secondly, Daniel looks towards Jerusalem, we learn in this text. The place where God's temple once dwelt, where God's covenant promises were proclaimed and sung. And it was Daniel's way of reminding himself daily, three times a day, of God's precious promises, that God would never forsake him, no matter what. And that one day, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, would appear and be the eternal dwelling place of God and his people. 
Thirdly, Daniel's personal devotion to God was the cadence and rhythm of his life. We learn that here. His personal devotion to God was the cadence and rhythm of his life. It was a central pillar of his schedule. Indeed, three times a day, he took time to commune with God in prayer and likely spent a little time reading and meditating upon the scriptures. His faith, his love for God, his conviction fueled his spiritual disciplines. His godly courage sprouted from the soil of prayer. Our courage, if it be godly courage, will flow from humble prayer and not from hubris. Fourthly, Daniel gave thanks to God. Think about this. Daniel gave thanks to God. Even on this occasion. Here we are reminded again of Paul's inspired words to the Thessalonians. Perhaps with Daniel in mind, Paul writes, Rejoice always and pray without what? Ceasing. Rejoice when? Always and pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, in everything. Think about this command. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So here Daniel, as a part of that great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12, is encouraging us to press on, to persevere in 2024, and to make God preeminent in our lives and in our schedules, no matter what the cost, whether small or great. To live resolutely, and by doing so, by drawing near to God and living coram Deo, we will glorify Him. We will be a bright witness in a dark world, and we will better face the onslaughts of the world, the flesh, and the devil who are always tempting us to go the way of the world. And so Daniel prays. And predictably, the satraps who have their spies there, perhaps some of themselves, they they see it, and like malicious third graders, they go and they tattle to the king. Doing so, they first reminded Darius of the fixed nature of the ordinance and the injunction associated with it. Look with me at verses 11 through 13. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. How did the king respond? The king was devastated. The king loved Daniel. Remember, he was going to make him the highest, have the highest position in the land, other than himself. And so in verses 14 and 15, we see he immediately tries to figure out a way to deliver Daniel, to rescue him. He stayed up all night. But again, he's reminded by his wicked satrap that the law is fixed. There's no changing it. Daniel must be thrown into the lion's den for breaking these rules. But then we see God's saving hand at work. In verse 16, we learn that the king commanded that Daniel, his most trusted servant and prized official, be brought into the den of these ravenous lions to be torn to pieces 
and eaten. Before Daniel is thrown in, however, in a rather dramatic moment, the king declared, May your God, whom you serve continually, be with you. What a way to be characterized. What a way to be characterized. Now, remember, when you hear these words, whom you serve continually, remember Daniel worked in the political realm, in the royal court. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary. He worked in the royal court, in the government. But his reputation was one of serving God continually. I don't want this point to be lost on us this morning. Remember that you do not have to be in full-time Christian service to serve God continually. You serve him in your vocation, whatever it may be. A teacher, a therapist, a doctor, a dentist, an actor, an athlete. Whatever calling God has placed upon your life, you have the privilege of serving him continually. Well, what happens next? It states in verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, and nothing, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. No jesters, no musicians, no distractions. This king, the greatest kingdom on the earth, fasted and did not sleep all night long on behalf of Daniel. It would seem that this would be the end of Daniel. As soon as the sun rose, the king also rose and rushed to the den of lions. As Darius approached the den where Daniel was, the text states that he cried out in a tone of anguish. The most powerful man in the world, crying out in a tone of anguish over Daniel. And he says, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then music came to Darius' ears. O king, live forever, Daniel said. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not harmed me, but because I was found blameless before him and before you, O king. Daniel was immediately taken out of the den. And as often happens in judgment passages in Scripture, those who were seeking to bring about the harm of God's servant are actually harmed. Those who accused Daniel were thrown into the den of lions along with their entire families as a sign of judgment. And before they even made it down the steps, they were overpowered and their bones were crushed. A grisly end to these wicked men. Similar to what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar after the three Hebrew youths were saved from the fiery furnace, Darius made a decree for his realm that the God of Daniel should be honored, that all should tremble before him. Look what the king wrote in Daniel 6, 26 and 27. For he, the living God, 
enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. What a statement. Was Darius converted? I hope so. I hope so. We do not know. We'll find out one day. But what we do know is that he declared the truth about God to his entire pagan kingdom. What did he declare? That God is the one true God, the living God. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the true and the living and the only God. Secondly, that God's kingdom is forever, unlike the kingdoms of this world. God's kingdom is forever. Thirdly, that God delivers and rescues. And he does so ultimately through Jesus Christ. Ultimately, every narrative, particularly where someone is saved, rescued, it is pointing us to the rescue of Christ for his people. God delivers and rescues, but he does this ultimately through Jesus Christ. And we, all of us in this room, in our natural condition, have a bigger problem than ferocious lions. We have sin and the wrath of God. And everyone who dies in their sin will be overwhelmed and consumed by the wrath of God and cast into eternal damnation. That's a much worse scenario than someone being thrown to hungry lions. But here's the good news. God sent his son into the world to conquer sin, hell, and death for us. Amen? He sent him into the world, born of a virgin, living perfectly according to the requirements of the law of God. And then as a perfect, righteous substitute, laid his life down on Calvary with our sins on him, receiving the wrath and justice of God for our sins that we would be saved by his grace and his mercy. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead, declaring victory, and so that we would be justified by grace through faith. God delivers and rescues ultimately through Jesus Christ. And it's to the Messiah that Daniel would ultimately look, trusting in those promises and prophecies of the coming one. Fourthly, God saved Daniel from these lions. And he saves us from Lions too, in a metaphorical sense. As we close, dear ones, please hear this. Whatever challenges or trials or tribulations you are dealing with in your life right now, and I know as your pastor that many of you are dealing with deep, heartbreaking tribulation in your life. Remember this. He has you. He will never let you go. He will hold you fast. He is with his people in the lion's den. Nothing can separate us from him, from his love, even the severest of trials. In fact, God does something amazing. He turns the trials that we go through, the most heartbreaking ones, the most gut-wrenching ones, into means 
by which he will grow us and mature us in our faith and help us to be an encouragement to others. That's what the Lord does. And who but God could do such a thing, to take terrible things and to turn them to our ultimate good. Secondly, let us remember this, dear ones, that Satan is called a ferocious, prowling lion in 1 Peter 5.8. He is always seeking someone to devour, and he is devouring many, but his mouth is shut to those who are united to Christ by grace through faith. Christ, again, has rescued us from Satan's hellish bite by putting himself in the mouth, in the mouth of Satan on Calvary for us. Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was slain for our iniquity. By his stripes, by the claws of death, we are healed. We need to remember that under times of temptation, we need to remember Christ. Remember that you are his. Remember that your identity is in him. Your baptism and the Lord's table remind you of Christ's love for you, that he is with you, that he will never forsake you, and that you can stand firm by his grace and through his spirit as you hold fast to him by faith. You know that he is holding fast to you. And in him, you and I are called to live counter-culturally resolutely, with purpose and unwavering determination, all flowing from grace and from our identity in Christ as a redeemed and justified sinner, saved by grace alone. Dear ones, Daniel was an extraordinary man, but remember, he was just a man. He was just a man. A man who had remaining indwelling sin. A man who was seeking to live by the promises of God and at times failed. But the posture of his life, the general pattern of his life, was one of resolute commitment to God. We have this great privilege, Christ Church, of living under God's grace for the glory of God resolutely and with conviction so it's not new year's resolutions that we ultimately focus on it's being resolute in our commitment to christ living according to our identity in him with firm and unwavering conviction in a world that seemingly has gone mad by the grace of god may we abide in christ and seek to do as Daniel did, trusting in the promises of God, anticipating the coming of Christ as we do in his second coming, and living according to his word. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this story, a story that ultimately points us to Christ. We thank you, Lord, for rescuing us from the mouth of Satan, that ferocious lion who is seeking many to devour. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us as we abide in Christ to live resolutely with purpose, with conviction, unwavering, according to your word. And when we fail, O oh Lord, we pray that we would run to you and confess our sin and receive your forgiveness again and again, for you offer it so freely. 
We thank you for your mercy, but help us, Lord, to live as your people and your bright witnesses in this dark world in 2024. We pray in Jesus' name.